Airlines Confidential with Ben Baldanza and Seth Kaplan is sponsored in part by Boyd Group International's 25th Annual International Aviation Forecast Summit this August in Cincinnati. The only aviation forecast event. Register to attend at a reduced rate with a special promo code available only at airlinesconfidential.com. Sponsorship info for the Airlines Confidential podcast is also available at airlinesconfidential.com. In the old days, this wouldn't have been such big news, but he got on an airplane. He's Ben Baldanza, former CEO of Spirit Airlines, who now teaches about how airlines work. Is that true, Ben? That's what I heard. Well, yes, it is. We can talk about it later (laughs) if you'd like. Well, back in the mid-2000s, he was named by the Miami New Times as the best flack. I'm not exactly sure what that means. Maybe he'll describe it, but that's Seth Kaplan, NPR's here and now transportation analyst. Yeah, former life. At least it was the best of something at one point, right? Well, pushing back from the gate, this is Airlines Confidential, the show where we share the secrets of the airline industry and debate all the crazy things that happen in the airline world each week. Today, we'll talk about whether things might not be so bad after all. And we'll talk about whether regional airlines are better or worse off than their mainline partners. But first, let's prepare for takeoff with this week's news. Ben, this past Monday, 441,000 people passed through TSA checkpoints in the U.S. Is that good news or bad news? Well, uh, certainly not good news compared to the equivalent day a year earlier when almost 2.7 million people passed through checkpoints. But on the other hand, it's a whole lot better than the worst day of the pandemic, less than 80 8,000 back in mid-April, April 14th. Uh, Again, that compares to 441,000. Oh, okay, fine. The 441,000 was this Monday. The 88,000 was a Tuesday. But even that week, it was 101,000 on the Monday. So more than four times as many people are traveling now than back during the worst of this. Uh, Look, the numbers are still closer to the worst than they are to the old numbers, but they're very Uh, clearly moving in the right direction. That, by the way, is no thanks to me. I haven't been on an airplane since the end of January. Uh, But Ben, back in January, when we first heard the word coronavirus and had to learn that that wasn't something related to like a Mexican beer, we thought things maybe wouldn't be so bad. To put it mildly, those expectations kept shifting until we got to the point where we've been talking about in the world, at least, maybe it'll be 2023 or who knows, 2024 before the global airline industry is back to 2019 levels. But now here in the U.S., at least, first of all, we see airline shares for people who pay attention to that surging uh, over the past week and lots of data like what I suggested, or you can look at airline schedules, which will pass the 50% mark for a lot of these airlines of their pre-COVID levels in July, according to Sirium schedule data or or traffic numbers, even more importantly, right? They're not empty airplanes anymore, not like they were in the old days, but, but there are people flying. Is there a scenario where our expectations shifted so much in the other direction that things just might not be so bad, that it won't be 2023 maybe before the industry globally is close to where it was before. And I say close, uh, you know, to, to at least where airlines are healthy. Uh, that could, could be, who knows, 2021, and, and most U.S. airlines at least are making money again, even if they're not putting up record profits. Well, Seth, you know, it's interesting. They say, you know, a long journey begins with the first step, right? And the industry for a little while was walking backwards <laughs> on that journey when they were actually 
refunding more money than they were taking in every day. And thankfully, those days are past now. And yeah, it's a very, very slow recovery that seems to be starting. And while everybody can say, you know, it's good news, more people through TSA, more people flying, more flights flying, more cities being added, more city pairs being added, we are coming back from sort of this enormous, enormous depth. I still think it's far too premature to say whether 2023 is too far off or too soon. We just don't know yet. We don't know when customers are going to be really comfortable. You know, the industry has passed through a couple of fare increases over the last few weeks. Yeah, and I've, I've noticed that. Yeah. It's not They're not just giving away tickets anymore. It, it, and I think airlines seem to have figured out that demand is still limited, but maybe kind of price insensitive, right? People who are who want to fly are willing to pay something resembling the old airfares because they have someplace they need to be. Well, yeah, that's right. And I actually think that's bad news for the industry. You might say, well, how can a fare increase be bad? Well, because I think what that suggests is that the people who are flying today really do have to fly. And that's why they're on the airplane, which is a little different than they're choosing to be on the airplane. So they might decide, well, I won't go if the fare is too high. Okay. So you'd rather see airlines being able to stimulate traffic, even if that means low fares, because then it's only a matter of time before things are approaching normal. Well, I think, uh, I think that would suggest that more people who can truly make the decision, we're going to fly on this trip or we're going to drive, or we're not going to take the trip at all or whatever. Um, I think we'd see more people in, once we see that kind of behavior happening, it's going to be better for the industry to think about returning to a full kind of normal in terms of demand, as opposed to just the people who have to go. So Interesting. you mentioned in the intro, you know, he got on an airplane. I flew last Friday and the two planes I flew were not full, but they were not empty. And I just, as I'm sitting on the plane with my mask on, looking at everybody else with their masks on, (laughs) I'm thinking, I wonder why they're on the plane. Like, I know why I'm here. I wonder why they're here. Like, why did they choose to fly? Or what are they doing that somebody told them they had to fly? Or what is their business? And what are they doing? And, you know, I didn't get a lot of answers to that. But I just, I normally don't think of that when I'm on a plane. Like, I didn't used to think, why is is anybody else on this plane? It's like, now I'm thinking, well, why aren't you home? Shelter. Yeah. Like, I know why I'm not home. I know why I'm not home sheltering. And I'm not saying right. you should be home sheltering, but I'm right. Right. It's just, it's just interesting. Yeah. No, a whole different set of decisions. And you wrote about this in Forbes and the headline uh, for anybody who wants to find it, it probably easy is just to Google. It says two flights, two airports, and what flying is like today. And it's a column by you. So if you Google that headline, you probably, probably like Ben Bali into two flights, two airports at all. <laughs> It'll pop up. But and did anything surprise you now that you finally got to – because I know for me, I, it's so funny. I talk to people all the time about fly. Yeah, I talk to reporters and mainstream media and so forth. They, and, and I joke with people about how I'm now talking about something that I never see, right? I mean, I'm, obviously, I'm talking about things that I do know, you know, looking at data and, 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 and all the rest of it. But but it's uh, – <laughs> but, but, uh, but I, I haven't been on an airplane since all this began. I mean, the biggest thing I would say is just how civil it was. And that's kind of an odd word to use. But if you think about everybody crowding to get on at boarding time or when the plane pulls up to the gate, you hear the ding and everybody jumps up to get their bag. None of that happened. I mean, there were announcements made at the gate that we're going to keep distancing. So please, we're going to board just a couple of rows at a time. Please don't get up till your row is called. And nobody got up till their row was called. And, uh, And then when the plane pulled up to the gate, as the plane's taxiing up, 
the flight attendants, you know, said, look, we got to be careful as we leave the plane, keep good distance from people, you know, give people the time in front of you to get out. And we pulled up to the gate, the ding went off and only like the people in the front row stood up and everybody waited. And it was just very, very civil. People who are flying now clearly understand the rules are different. It clearly said to themselves, you know, okay, I'm going to behave the way I should behave given the times we're in now. And to me, that was really a positive sign. It wasn't all these, you know, bad behaviors out there crowding on airplanes. No, everybody there just did all the right thing. Everybody wore their masks, everybody distanced properly. And everybody said, we're on this plane. We're all going to be safe on this plane. That was actually really great. I mean, I left after... After two flights flying up to Boston from Washington and then back later in the day, having talked to a lot of people who work for airlines and who were travelers on airlines, the overwhelming sense I got was that people feel safe, people feel the airports and the airlines are trying to keep them safe, and that the the compromises they need to make or the adaptations to their behavior they need to make are really not that big a deal for the ability to still fly again. That was sort of the sense that I got. That's great. And and I know for me, the way I look at it is, look, I would get on an airplane in terms of just the risk to myself and the risk to people around me on the plane, I, obviously wearing a mask and all the rest of it. Uh, I, I'm still thinking now more about the when I get to where I'm going. You know, If I'm going to go visit family, if I'm visiting older family members, what if I have the virus uh, and I don't know it, that sort of thing. But in terms of getting on the plane itself, I, I, I would have uh, no issue doing that. At this point, but back to just sort of the industry recovery. I want to ask you a couple quick questions and move on. Uh, so, so you know, clearly there are just sort of different eras that we're going to go through here, right? We are still in the pre-vaccine era, and someday there's going to be, hopefully, sooner rather than later, the post-vaccine era, right? Where things might not be totally normal because we're all still conscious of just the communicability of diseases in general, but where uh, you know, fears are, are lower than they are now. And and then uh, because this is all just so driven by macro factors larger than the airline industry, t- tell me if I'm right to think about it like this. So the recovery, uh, you know, right now when I think about things continuing on. I'm kind of assuming, okay, there's not a vaccine soon, right? Because obviously that would change things in a very good direction. But I'm also thinking in terms of no big, huge second wave of the virus, which on the other hand would send things in the other direction. To me, those are kind of like the bookends of of the the current range of expectations. And if and if you get on either side of those bookends, then that's where you could have either a downside or an upside surprise, right? A, a, a bad second wave, obviously, uh, you know, things could be a lot worse than they look or a vaccine actually in production sooner than we think, you know, if all of a sudden it's, it's, it's October and there's like a vaccine in production, then, then that would be very good news. Is that kind of the way to think of it? And in between those is kind of the, 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 the middle part of of the range of expectations? I think that is a fair way to think about it, Seth. Also, I think that, you know, you have different states, almost like little labs, right, trying different things. A friend of mine in Florida who lives in Miami said that he went to a restaurant last night, sat inside the restaurant, and even though they had fewer tables than they used to have in the restaurant, that it was quite full for the amount of tables they had, right? They had things spaced apart. So that that's not going on here yet in Northern Virginia. Maybe it is in some places, right? But it's, it's not. Yeah. But it was in Miami. And so I think there's this sense that the terrible, terrible murder of George Floyd 
and the reactions to that have created lots of people in the streets, right? Yeah. Protesting. And some of them are wearing masks and some aren't. And when you compare that to keep distance with, with coronavirus, it makes you think, well, maybe coronavirus is on the downside. Maybe the rates are coming down. Maybe people are assessing the risk a little differently. And they say, look, it's important for me to show my position in this important social issue. Yeah. So where otherwise I might not have wanted to be in a crowd, I'm willing to be in a crowd for that. And what that suggests is that there are things that make people say, I'm going to change my mindset about things. Yeah. You mentioned George Floyd, and that's what I want to talk about next. The Obviously, the other very big issue in the world right now. And something actually happened before our last episode, but we were so packed last time, didn't get to get to it, uh, but I don't want to overlook it. Doug Parker, the CEO of American Airlines. I think a lot of people have seen the story by now. And if you haven't, you can they'll, they'll sort of recount it quickly and you can go read more about it online. But really remarkable. He gets on a flight, Southwest Airlines, he was flying actually, just by himself, uh, wearing a mask, not particularly recognizable. And he's carrying a book called White Fragility, which apparently he had started reading back before COVID. And it seems like American at the highest levels was was very concerned about these racial issues to the point that it wasn't just kind of this corporate uh, you know, public initiative, but the executives there were like trading book recommendations. And I think one of the other executives had, had recommended to him that he read this book and he made it like halfway through and then COVID happened. Uh, but then George Floyd happened and he picked it back up. And it, this was just a book he was carrying with him to read on the flight. A flight attendant, an African-American flight attendant, uh, saw him carrying the book. Uh, he, he was sitting in a row by himself, not a particularly busy flight. She uh, went up and sat near him, went back, I should say, and sat near him and asked him how he liked the book. They started talking. She had no idea who he was. And they had this this long uh, uh, emotional conversation. And then toward the end, he said, oh, I work in the airline industry too. And you know, he, he, he told her who he was. And, and uh, she took a picture with him and she posted it on Facebook and then various media outlets picked up on it. But it, it sounds like it was a very powerful experience for both of them. And and I just love the authenticity of it. I mean, he had no expectation of anybody. He wasn't doing this for show very clearly. Uh, and, uh, and yet this is out there. Uh, ben, just open-ended question. You read that and you thought what? As somebody who used to run a, a rather large airline. Well, I've known Doug since early in my career, actually, when we worked together at both American and Northwest Airlines. And I saw that story and I just got a big smile on my face. It's so good. It was so good to read that story. Doug's a really good guy. We've actually made fun of Doug on this podcast sometimes for saying things like the airlines will never lose money again. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> and some things like that. There were two other things that were in that story that I thought were interesting. He said that uh, his ego initially thought she was coming over to talk to him because she recognized him. Yeah. And then they realized that wasn't the case at all. Yeah. But yeah. I thought that's a very awesome self-awareness, right? To yeah. say, yeah. well, no, she's not coming over to me because I'm the CEO of American Airlines. Yeah. And then the other thing was when he uh, he wrote to her mom 
and, ta- and talked yeah. about the great conversation she had with her daughter and said, why'd you let her go work for Southwest? <laughs> I thought that was really funny. Because her great. mom works for American. She's based at, at Reagan National. Uh, yeah, that's right. There, there's so much There's so much that's so great about that story. I know. Uh, but and, that and, shows Doug's good sense of humor too, right? And so yeah. it's, uh, no, it was a fantastic story. On this podcast, we do passengers behaving badly. It's it's wonderful to have a story to say, you know, one passenger behaving incredibly gallantly, <laughs> right? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> no, I, I just, I, I love that so much uh, to like about that. And this is just all, you mentioned George Floyd, again, just another one of those things. All you can root for is for him to not have died in vain and and uh, just another manifestation of that alongside all kinds of other uh, good stuff that is happening, even though obviously everybody would do anything to not have had the incident happen, but at least right. uh, the, the the good that can come out of it. Well, now at cruise altitude here on Airlines Confidential, Ben, uh, as you've seen, we've been getting so many great questions. So let's take one before the break and we'll take another one after. Mike from Brooklyn sent us a message with the subject line, regional airlines, colon, deep doo-doo or gold medal, question mark. So what's the answer, Ben? No, just kidding. Obviously, it requires a bit of clarification, which fortunately Mike provided in the rest of his message. He writes, here are my hypotheses. What do you think? Number one, regional airlines are – and when we say regional airlines, we should clarify. Clearly, he's talking about SkyWest and Republic and some of the other smaller ones, the airlines that carry – passengers on behalf of the the mainline airlines uh you know flying under flags like american eagle and the uh, uh, united express and all the rest of it um anyways as regional airlines are so dependent on feeding the majors that with the route cuts and the coming mainline apocalypse in october october being when a lot of the restrictions go away most regionals are in deep doo-doo like real deep he says or on the other hand number two Regional airlines fly smaller, 76-seat aircraft can probably fill them, eat less fuel, have the most flexibility on labor costs, and the most junior crews. So they are the ones that will win the gold medal. What do you think, Ben? Well, I think he's got two good points. I think you can make the case for and against the regionals just the way, just the way he did. And he's obviously smart thinking about this. Overall, I think the regionals – um, are in a little worse shape than the mainline airlines, actually. And I think there's a couple of reasons for that. I think they do fly smaller equipment, which is good, and it's lower cost per trip, certainly, to buy those. But they are dependent on largely people fly, flying mostly to a hub, right? Most of Americans, regionals feed Dallas and feed Miami and feed Charlotte, right? Yeah. And the same for other airlines and their hubs. And my sense, I don't know if you agree with this, Seth, is my sense is that as recovery starts to happen, people are going to disproportionately, when they can, avoid connections. Because if you're trying to truly distance, you can almost figure it out on the airplane with the airflow and everybody wearing a mask and airlines seating people apart while they can. But then you get into the hub and all these people even if there's not that many per plane, when there's a lot of planes, that's that's the area where you're going to be face-to-face with more people in the hub and waiting at the hold room for the next flight. Now, the regionals serve a lot of smaller places. That's why they're flown with regional aircraft, 
not mainline aircraft. So they may not have the option to fly nonstop and they have to go to the hub and they will be the connector. So maybe that really won't hurt them that much. But with demand lower right now, starting to come back, I think a lot of the regional flying is going to take some time to come back, just like mainline flying is going to take time to come back. Because of flexibility with labor, because of smaller airplanes, that's all good for them. But these airlines live and die on the agreements they have with the big airlines. And with the big airlines looking at all of their costs and all of their cash needs, are they going to pay for as much flying from the regionals as they did? And that's the biggest reason, I think, that the regionals are probably in a little more challenged state than the mainline airlines, because the mainline airlines can decide, we want to keep this flying in place, so we'll pay for it. Or there's not enough demand yet, so we're not going to write that check and the regionals aren't going to fly. So they don't really control their comeback as much as the big airlines. And that's that's why overall I sort of rule in favor of the big guys instead of the regionals right now. I wouldn't say they're in deep doo-doo because airlines need this regional flying and they're eventually going to need all of it again. But in the meantime, is it something that airlines can do without for a while? That might be the case. Also, some of this is governed by the labor agreements. You mentioned labor costs. Mike mentioned it too. But but look, it, it's not as though Delta American or United can just decide to outsource all their flying to these airlines. They have agreements with their pilots, with their mainline pilots, that there's proportionality in terms of depending on how much mainline flying they're doing, that's how much regional flying they can do. So there's kind of a ceiling to, to how much they can really ever do with these airlines based on those agreements, correct? Yes, that, that's exactly right. And so the the last thing that big airline labor groups want is to have their jobs outsourced to lower price labor at a regional. And labor contracts are still enforced during this time. And while labor groups are working with airlines, I think overall to help manage through this, they're not going to say, well, it's okay for someone who works less for me to keep their job while I'm still sitting at home and maybe after September 30th not being paid, right? And so, yeah, I think that's ex- that's exactly right. I think the airline, the regionals will, you know, they're, they're basically waiting for their sponsors at Delta, American, and United, largely in the scheduling and marketing groups who determine where these airplanes need to fly. Um, they're, they're waiting on them to say, we need your flying and we'll pay you for that flying. Yeah. Well, I want quickly, Ben, to give an update about the International Aviation Forecast Summit, uh, which is scheduled for Cincinnati, August 23rd to 25th. As you know, uh, dating back to before COVID, we were all excited about being there and and doing the podcast from there, uh, doing actually the wrap-up session, talking about everything, all the news that's been made there, uh, recording it, taking questions in person. And I asked Mike and Marion Boyd, is, is this really still going to happen? They said, yeah, they're shooting for it. I mean, look, obviously there's uncertainty in the world. Nobody can guarantee anything, but, uh, you know, they have been working to make sure this can be done safely. Uh, it's in Cincinnati, just in accordance with all the, with all the current regulations in terms of social distancing and, and, and the rest of it. And the, the neat thing is that not only, I mean, what I always say is just 
really one of the best events, but this year is also kind of one of the only ones. All kinds of things are being canceled. And so I kind of picture it being, uh, uh, you know, assuming it happens, just just a really neat time for everybody, people who haven't seen each other forever to see each other again. And, and hopefully it'll kind of feel like a real inflection point when things are beginning to, you know, although still well off their lows, turn up for the industry. Not only that, look, the, the, the good times are fun, obviously, but this is when it counts in terms of the forecasting. So, you know, just all kinds of knowledge, all kinds of insight there. And of course, the usual networking opportunities. And you can get a special discount. And I mean, this is cheaper than it would normally be this close to the event. This is the kind of thing usually lower than you would ever get even way in advance. There's a promo code. If, if you just go on our website, airlinesconfidential.com, you'll see the promo code there. It's AC1550, AC1550. But just go on airlinesconfidential.com. You'll see the banner uh, for this site. That code expires Friday, June 12th. So really excited, very much uh, looking forward to that. And I know you are too, Ben. Absolutely. And I I do hope that the conference does happen. And it would be a great time for sort of people from the industry with, you know, wearing appropriate facial coverings and keeping all the rules in place, but being able to share stories about what's happening in some ways, uh, a real important year to come to this conference, especially talking about forecasting with so much uncertainty about demand to have some of the best minds and, and things there, I think is great. Also, I noticed that in Ohio, I just saw in the last day or two, two of the big amusement parks are going to be reopening yeah. in Ohio, you know, with some limits and some things like that. And their roller coasters aren't nearly as big as what we're going to talk about at the Void Conference. <laughs> <laughs> That's that's true. And in all seriousness, Ohio was a state that impressed me early on as one that seemed to have taken a really science-based approach to all of this, seemed to get ahead of it, and and I think has done reasonably well. So so for what that's worth, obviously they had no idea that they were going to be dealing with that when they picked Cincinnati, you know, probably cl- uh, close to a year ago. But uh, but but there's that too. It's just the state where see, things to be, seem to be going reasonably well. Well. What would happen uh, when you show up at what you thought was a convenient little airport and the security line feels like O'Hare? It's that, plus fine or whine, when Airlines Confidential returns. Airlines Confidential with Ben Baldanza and Seth Kaplan is produced in conjunction with Mass Media, a Google partner, providing businesses with traditional and digital advertising strategy and implementation. Massmedia.net. With Ben Baldanza, I'm Seth Kaplan. This is Airlines Confidential. Fine or wine is next, but first let's go back to the mailbag. Rob of Doylestown, Pennsylvania writes, Hi, Ben and Seth. First, I really enjoy your show and always look forward every Wednesday when you guys have your latest episode up. It makes my drive to work much more enjoyable. Thank you, Rob. Well, getting to my question, last year, a couple friends and I flew Spirit Airlines from Atlantic City to Fort Myers. Being that ACY, ACY is the airport code for Atlantic City, is a small airport only serviced by a few Spirit flights to vacation destinations. We assumed that our 6.15 a.m. flight would probably be the only one taking off at that time. Thus, we planned on getting to the airport about 20 minutes prior to boarding time. Little did we know, Spirit had flights to each of their destinations from ACY boarding around the same time that morning. The TSA checkpoint was jam-packed, moving slowly, and we had to run through the terminal to catch our flight as they closed the jetway doors behind us. 
is it common for airlines such as Spirit to have their flights out of smaller airports all boarding and departing around the same time each day? Or is this an infrequent occurrence that we just so happen to come across that day? Ben, one thing I know is that staffing at TSA checkpoints is actually trickier at smaller airports because you kind of do have these bursts of activity. I want to hear your answer to this, but I've noticed that some of the worst waits that I've ever had have not been at you know, Atlanta or someplace like that, where there's kind of this constant flow of activity throughout the day and lots of security personnel. And it's just sort of easy to manage that. Sometimes it's been at small airports where you have a few flights going at one time and and that can really overwhelm the checkpoint. But you can understand the challenge of, you know, that for them to staff up for that, then you'd have an hour later, all these people sitting around doing nothing. Uh, I'm pretty sure I'm correct about that. Uh, So I'll ask you first, am I? And second, the answer to Rob's question about how common that is. Yeah, well, first of all, I'm glad that Rob has a job where he can still drive to work. I think that's great. No, I mean, uh, things you take for granted, right? Yeah, yeah, seriously, (laughs) seriously, the little things. Yeah, (laughs) absolutely. No, you're right, Seth, that it is harder to staff smaller airports, but You know, an airline like Spirit, one of the ways they keep their fares so low is that they run a very high utilization airline, which means they're flying their planes a lot of hours per day. And when a plane's sitting on the ground, it's certainly not making any money. Some of the planes in the air right now aren't making any money either, right? Because of the loads. But but in general, that's true. So in a city like Atlantic City, it's a it's a real origin spot, meaning people like the people who go to Atlantic City to gamble drive to Atlantic City. Right. Spirit isn't carrying people into Atlantic City to go gambling. They might carry yeah. people to Vegas for that reason. Yeah, right, but not that, to Atlantic that's, City. A good, that's a good point. And yeah. so Atlantic City is an origin point. So people from Central Jersey and things like that live in that, live in the you know region where ACY is a convenient airport, they get out early. And so Spirit wants to get all its planes out early. Now you can't really start boarding at 5 a.m. because nobody's gonna fly if it's that early. So you end up in this relatively tight window when all the planes want to go because you want to get the planes in the air, but you gotta wait for people to get to the airport, but nobody's gonna want to say, Say, hey, I'll get to Florida later, so my flight won't leave till eight thirty, so that the flights before me can have a shorter TSA line, right? Yeah. <laughs> and, <laughs> and somebody else says, "I'm not going to get there at five a.m., so everyone can have a shorter line either." Right? It ends up being a fairly tight window where most of the planes have to leave, sort of in that six to seven a.m. hour, and so that does put a lot of people through TSA, and they don't have that level of activity all day. I would say that. Okay, I'll go back to to my little obnoxious trip last Friday, right? (laughs) To be honest, even though, you know, I've worked in the airlines for a long time and we do this podcast, I didn't know what to expect in the airport. Like, I, I, I expected there wouldn't be throngs of people, but I didn't know if anything about the security process would be longer or anything like that. So I got to the airport, especially early, just to make sure And also, I knew that if I got there early, I could talk to more people and things like that. But I would think that, especially during the time now, unless you're traveling all the time and and you've been to Atlantic City three days earlier and things like that, like getting there 20 minutes before, which might be an advantage normally in a place like ACY, that's cutting it a little close anyway when you don't really know what's going on. So I think if – I think if if Rob had been there maybe 45 minutes before, that line might have not seemed quite as long and might not have been so apprehensive whether he'd get through it. And I think part of it was all the flights at the same time, and part of it was 20 minutes is a little bit too short, I think. 
Yeah, but I think anybody who's traveled enough has been in that situation where we were cutting it a little too close. And sometimes we're lucky and the boarding door closes right behind us. And sometimes it closes right before we get there. I know I've certainly been in both situations. (laughs) Well, do you have a question for us? You can call us at 305-379-7429 and record a question for us anytime during the week. Again, 305-379-7429. You can email us questions at airlinesconfidential.com or you can jump on the Airlines Confidential website. You'll see a form on there to submit your question. Well, beginning our initial descent on today's show, it's time for fine or whine. We listen to an actual customer complaint and we talk about whether a complaint is fine or if they're just whining. Ben, you have a complaint. Yes, Seth. This one is from John of Colchester, England, complaining about Virgin Atlantic. And let me point out that this one was just before the COVID crisis. John writes, we visit St. Lucia every year. How nice (laughs) And choose Virgin Atlantic over British Airways because of the comfort of the economy class and the high quality of staff. This was before Virgin was taken over by Delta and decided to buy old X-Air Berlin A330-200s instead of the previous newer and more comfortable A330-300s. Virgin Atlantic customers on this route should now expect comfort standards below Ryanair. <laughs> well, first of all, the Delta <laughs> didn't actually take over Virgin Atlantic. They, they did buy just about half of it. Uh, that goes back nearly a decade at this point. Uh, and they have board seats and everything. Uh, obviously, some influence there. Now, it's not that an A330-200 has to be less comfortable than a Dash 300. Obviously, you can you could configure any plane, any way you want. But what... John is saying is that these A330-200s, which he and I haven't gone and researched this, but he seems to he seems to be astute and have figured out that these come from Air Berlin, and they're they're not as nice as as uh, Virgin's other planes. But what do you think here? I, I mean, I mean, it's true. Virgin does market an upmarket product, right? That is one reason why people fly Virgin is is because it's generally a rather nice airline and John's saying that wasn't the case here and and why should he choose Virgin over over BA if if it's not going to be any nicer who is this fine or a wine I'm leaning toward wine but I but there's some aspects of fine and let me yeah. let, let me explain what I mean here like you said he's done this before and he chooses Virgin over BA because he thinks their product is nicer and he points out these old ex-Air Berlin A33200s. My guess is he didn't like Air Berlin or he thought the airplanes were shoddy or maybe not as comfortable, obviously. And so the question is, could he have known what plane was flying on that flight before he bought the ticket? That's possible. Does he expect Virgin Atlantic to lose money so we can be more comfortable if they got a good deal on these airplanes and maybe they just haven't had time yet? One of the issues with buying old airplanes or used airplanes is that it takes some time to sort of reconfigure them to what you'd like. And it's possible that Virgin Atlantic has a plan for that airplane to make it as comfortable as all their other ones, but they haven't had the plane for that long. And it was flying that route the day John flew it and he couldn't do much about that. So my guess is if he complained to Virgin Atlantic about, hey, I didn't get the standard of comfort that I usually get, that I bet Virgin would do something for him, maybe with miles, maybe a little discount on his next year trip to St. Lucia. But overall, I think comparing them to Ryanair was probably a little stretch. No question (laughs) he was disappointed that he didn't get the real nice experience on board as he's used to getting on Virgin. But this sounds to me more like a wine than suggesting Virgin should have done something different 
than they did here. It's not like they picked this bad plane to make him give him a bad day, right? Yeah, it does speak to the complexity of, of running an upmarket global airline where you create up expectations, right? Everybody, when they fly Ryanair, you know, they, they know what they're going to get. And it's not hard for Ryanair to meet expectations. It's not hard for Spirit frontier airlines like those to meet expectations whereas when you're virgin and you sell something more than just sort of basic safe transportation uh, the, you do get into these these situations well uh, on final approach that does it for airlines confidential this week please fasten your seatbelts and ensure your seat backs and tray tables are in their upright and locked positions and remember we'd love to hear your questions at 305 379 7429 or email us questions at airlinesconfidential.com or you can jump on the airlinesconfidential.com website from the airlines confidential studios i'm seth kaplan and i'm ben balbanza we'll talk to you soon this podcast is produced by mass media info at massmedia.net